Morning, everybody. Hey, we're going to find a little different in terms of the message today. We're going to have two of our elders who are going to speak to us on the topic of elders. Um, we're going to show that our elders are able to teach. As we're going to hear later, Dan walk us through one of the qualifications of being an elder. That's one of them. So we're going to get a chance to do that this morning. Now, there's a lot of different ways that we could do this. We could look together in Acts chapter 20. And you may want to read that passage this afternoon. That's Paul. He's been bound, or he will be bound soon. Uh, he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be handed over uh, for trial. And so he stops off in uh, Ephesus, uh, and he speaks to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 fascinating passage there. It talks about two different roles of the elder, to be overseer and to be shepherd. We could look there. We could look in, in the book of Romans, where Paul talks about peace and prosperity, not just physical peace, but spiritual peace and spiritual prosperity is what leaders should be about and what we should be about. We see this in a couple of places of Romans, you know, where Paul says, inasmuch as it's possible, be at peace with all men. Uh, he also says that one of the goals of the, of the Christ follower is to g- live a godly life in quietness, peace, and prosperity. Paul even uses that governmentally when he, he does go to Jerusalem. He is arrested, and then he realizes that that arrest will be Uh, He'll be turned back over to the Jews and probably killed by the leaders of the Sanhedrin. So he says, wait, stop. I'm a citizen of this empire, or really, yeah, empire uh, of Rome. And I have a right that I'm going to exercise. Peace and prosperity, looking to leaders for a better trial. We could look in Romans and see kind of the foundations of Paul's idea of government for peace and prosperity, both civilly and in the church. We could look in First uh, Peter 5, and we'll do that next week when we have our guest, Gene Getz, come and speak to us. Peter's thoughts on what it means to be a, a leader. We could look in Titus 1. And, you know, there we've just about exhausted all of the places in the New Testament where you get a description of this role called elder. But we're going to look at two other places. We're going to look in Acts, where we see a model, and then we're going to look in 1 Timothy 3, where we're going to see the qualifications. And we're going to hear from people who are, who are doing it. You know, sometimes we think of the role of elders as this smoke-filled room. And that's our mistake because we haven't explained the role very well. It's all this hidden stuff. And, and you're going to hear it's challenging. I find being a leader a challenge all the time. Sometimes I do well, sometimes I don't do so well. Sometimes my strengths get really strong, and sometimes my weaknesses get really strong too, and I mess up. And it's, it's a balance, and it is a challenge to lead a diverse uh, congregation. It, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were perfect, but we're not. So we live with these challenges. So what we're going to see is we're going to see these two guys talk with us about the role. Now, Fred, how long have you and your family been in this church? For a little over 30 years. So there weren't dinosaurs here when you first came? No, not dinosaurs. Okay. Yeah. I, and then you've been, you've been a board member, you've been a vice chairman, and then beginning this last year, you've been the chairman of our board. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you for 
uh, friendship and for your service to our church. Yeah. Talk with us, will you, from Acts 4 and then Acts 6 about, um, about the balancing aspects. Yeah. So um, having some medical issues over the last year and a half with my eyesight, um, with, you know, I've had some esophagus things. I've seen a lot of doctors for different things. Well, probably since I've been chairman. Maybe that says something. I don't know. But um, <laughs> don't become chairman, okay? <laughs> Carl Camp, Rick Albert, you all know what I'm talking about, okay? So, um, but also taking care of my, I have a 92-year-old mother who lives with us, taking care of her and um, working now as a chaplain in one of our local hospitals. Um, it has taught me um, a lot of things, but one of the things that it's taught me is there is a reason why they call it medical practice, right? Um, our bodies are so complicated and so diverse um, and that many times it's not always simple to come up with a solution for things. If you think about just a normal headache, right? Some of you can take Tylenol, some of you can take Advil, some of you are on essential oils maybe, I don't know. Um, but it doesn't always work for everybody all the time, right? And so it, it can be very complicated. And on occasion, some things are unintentionally missed, even. And so as we look at uh, Acts chapter 6, I'd like you to keep that in mind. But first, I want to give you a little bit of background to Acts chapter 6, which is in Acts chapter 4. This will give you kind of a, a little picture of how things were like in the early church. And it's something that I think we always all want to aspire to because it, it, it really sounds wonderful. So Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to there. So all of the believers... So if I miss some words or I don't quite get it right, forgive me. It's my visual impairment, but it's what I have to deal with and now what you get to deal with. So... Um, all of the believers were, the, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. Can you imagine that? No needy persons among them. And this was a church at the time was about 3,000 or so. So here we see an incredible time of unity, an incredible time of giving and taking and loving and caring for each other. We also see a time where the apostles were the overseers. Uh, they were in charge of the, the distribution to make sure that people went without need. That was, that was their job. So, then we move to Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1, and we'll see how reality kind of sets in as we're all human, and these are the type of things that seem to take place. So, in those days, verse 1, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, so estimates now were that the church was about 5,000, maybe upwards of 10,000 people, so probably the size of EV Free um, is, would be a good, fair estimate of, 
of the size. So the Hellenistic Jews, uh, which were the Greek-speaking Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, which were the Hebrew-speaking Jews, because the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, now notice there's no individual name given here, so it's not, hey Peter, we have this problem, um, it's the twelve. And we, we look at that and, and as, as elders, and this is kind of how we view our role as the plurality of elders, that we do things as a team, we do things together, so that there's not one elder that makes a decision for everybody. It's a group that comes together and we wear and tear on each other, we pound, we do whatever it takes to get the decision made, um, but we, we do it together. There's a plurality of elders, so there's not one dominant person. There's not, you know, the chairman's not the guy that says, hey, we have to do this. It's all of us together. And I think there's a lot of great things about that, accountability and a lot of other things that go along with that. So the 12 is all of them together. And, and in this passage, it kind of moves quickly to the decision. And having been on the elder board off and on for the last 20 years, I can tell you most certainly that no decision is ever made that quickly. Um, things take time. Uh, when you have, now we have eight guys in the room debating things, uh, it just doesn't, we don't all agree right off the bat. Um, we listen to each other, we have different perspectives, different backgrounds, and so we all try to come together and, and be unified and listen to God. That's really what we try to do is to listen to God um, and then be obedient to what we believe he calls us to do. So this group of elders, or the, the apostles, um, gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, to me, that sounds kind of, well, we'll let someone else clean up the tables while we pray, right? That's not what this is. This is, this is not an issue of importance. It's an issue of giftedness and calling. And because the church was growing, the apostles realized we have to, we have to begin to let others be a part of this, give ministry away. Um, and so this is, this is what they do. So verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Now you think to wait on tables? Well, this shows you the importance of not just waiting on tables, but on anything that we do in the church. How important it is our service is all equal. There's no role that's more important than the next. So, um, let's see, where was I? So, we'll turn this responsibility over them and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen. Remember, Stephen was the first martyr in the church. He was the first one to die for our faith. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas. I know all of you are thinking, I, I got to tell these to my kids, or my, I, these are great names for my, my children, right? And Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. 
They presented these men to the, to, to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, this is a great passage and is often taught about giving ministry away. And we've done that for many years here um, at EV Free. Uh, the elders have assumed the role of overseer and giving direction and overall uh, vision for the church. And then we've delegated the day-to-day operations to our staff. And we try not to get mixed in with the, the, the staff business and, and get into their world. We, we allow them to serve and to do um, what they're called to do. And then their role is to train and equip you. Their role is not to do the work. Their role is to train and equip you to do the work as well. And then your role is to do what? Is to go make disciples. So see, we're all on this process of giving ministry away. That's for all of us. And, and this is a great passage to, um, to talk about that. But I want to focus on something a little bit different this morning. If you were to rate or give on a scale of 1 to 10 the spirituality of the apostles, um, what would it be? Right? For me, it would be a 10, right? These guys are the elite. These guys are the, the top dogs. They're walking around healing people. They're filled with the spirit. They're speaking in tongues. They're doing all these wonderful things. The church is growing like crazy, right? These guys are at the top, spiritually in my eyes. So how could it be that these guys miss the fact that there were widows that were not being fed? Of all the people to miss, the widows. They didn't miss the overweight 53-year-olds, right? They could maybe, you know, hey, you don't need any. But they missed the widows. And you think, well, the church was really large. Of course, they're going to miss them. But it was their role, right? They were to give oversight to that. They were responsible for that. It was their job to make sure that no one was neglected. So maybe, just maybe, eldering ought to be called elder practice. Because we miss a lot of things too. As an elder here for many years, I can tell you that we've missed a lot of things. And I can assure you that we always will. Can I just say I'm sorry? If you felt neglected, or you felt overlooked, or you felt disrespected, or you felt cast aside, or you may have felt like these widows may have felt, Would you forgive us? Our deepest desire is to see God's kingdom grow. We want to see Jesus glorified in all that we do. And there's not one of us that want to miss any of you.
We want to see you grow. We want to see you flourish. We want to see the body of Christ increase like in the early church. But we're going to miss things. Can I ask a couple things of you? First of all, that you'd pray for us. We, we need it desperately. This is a difficult time in the life of our church. We're in a lot of transition right now. And this is a time when we all need to band together. And we need to unify together. So would you pray for us? I pray for you all the time. My wife can testify to the fact that there's probably not an hour in a day that goes by that I'm not concerned about our spiritual growth. Because I love this place. I love this people. I love the people here. And we want to see you love Jesus more and more each and every day. So please pray for us. The second thing that I would ask of you is that would you extend grace to us? Because if the apostles can miss not feeding widows, we're going to miss much bigger things probably. Not intentionally. We try to cover it all, but we don't always. So would you extend grace to us? Would you extend grace to our staff? You know, I think about a new year. And we always want to come up with resolutions and things to kind of charge our year. And for me, having all of the things that have taken place in my life over the last year and a half, um, losing my career because of my sight, not being able to drive, all those things, I just want to be more thankful. I want to be a person who's thankful. And I want us to be a church that's thankful. Because God is so good, and he does so many great things, and he is not finished with us yet here. He is still on the throne. He's still the head of this church. And we're going to follow his lead. So when things maybe aren't how you want it, how you like it, your needs are being not met, would you extend grace to us in that? Especially during this time of transition. So we only desire, and our staff only desires, the very best for you in this place and for God's kingdom. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you for this congregation, for these people who love you, who come here each and every week to learn and to grow. And Father, I pray pray that your spirit would move through this place and that you would grow us, you would mature us, that you would help us to learn how to love each other more and more. Father, may we be a beacon of light to the community around us so that your name is lifted high above all names. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Thank you, Fred. Appreciate you taking those things out of Acts 4 and Acts 6 and putting a very practical spin on it, but also letting us hear what the scriptures say mm-hmm. so that we can see it in its, in its originality and then say, hey, what does it mean to us here today? Yeah. Now, Dan, you've been here at the church about 10 years. You've yes. been an elder for a year. You yes. help lead a local company. Um, and you're also helping spearhead the nominations process. So it's very natural that you would speak to us out of 1 Timothy 3 about what are the qualifications? What are we looking for in that next group of elders that will be coming on in May? Well, let's do that. Let's do that. And, um, and it's a great privilege to be here uh, with, uh, with my brothers here um, and doing the service today. And um, it's good for us to learn about uh, these roles and responsibilities for elders and um, it is a tough job, I can attest to that. But um, we'd like to talk a little bit more here on the scriptural qualifications uh, for elders in the church. And, and Paul gave these to his apprentice Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you'd turn with me uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. And um, it should be on the screen, and, and uh, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, How will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And before we dive deeper into these qualifications, I'd like to point out a a number of things. Um, First of all, that this list of qualifications uh, doesn't apply only to elders. I believe that it applies to all of us as, as serious and maturing Christians. Um, we're all at different points in our spiritual journey, but God makes clear the direction that he wants us to go. You may not feel currently led to become an elder or to become a leader in the church, but these qualifications are still important to all of us as maturing Christians. Dan Crane pointed out a couple of weeks ago that God has called men and women throughout history to do his will. And I believe that he's called us here, too, to do his will. And he has a calling on each of our lives. And so these qualifications will better equip us to do what God has planned for us. And second, these qualifications are unique. They're simply not the same qualifications that our culture is looking for and its leaders. Think about Wall Street. Think about even Main Street. Think about Washington, D.C., or Hollywood. And notice also what's not on the list, being rich or powerful or influential or having the right pedigree or having the right education. Those things are just not on the list. And God's church is indeed a unique organization, and it has a mission like no other. An organization's mission and values determine the requirements and qualifications for its leaders. And in, our, in the church, we're called to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're called to love others, and we're called to do good things. And then we're called to go. We're called to follow the Great Commission by being witnesses and making disciples of Christ. 
Here at EV Free, we call that follow, connect, and go, and our, our church is aligned around that mission. Follow means following Jesus and rejecting the ways of the world. Connect means connecting with other parts of our spiritual family. And Rooted is a great example of that. I just went through Rooted, and it is indeed a life-changing experience. Go means going out into our world as missionaries, being intentional ambassadors for Christ. And we have many examples of this in our church, but certainly our nonprofit uh, local outreach called OC United, which you're most likely aware of. That's a great example of what we have going on here. And the third point is that no one is perfectly qualified to be a leader in the church. If that was a standard, we would all fail. So thankfully, that's not the standard. So here today, as elders of this church, we come before you with all of our warts and blemishes, but we also come with, with sincere hearts, and we are trying to, to, to live by the power of the Holy Spirit more mature, Christ-like lives and to lead this church well. So there are 15 qualifications, and the first one is in verse 2. And if you look there with me, Paul says, an overseer must be above reproach. And this qualification is at the beginning for a reason. It certainly is first and foremost. It's one of the bookends, and the other bookend is, is similar, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But what does it mean to be above reproach? It means a church leader should not be subject to criticism for wrongdoing or be accused of wrongdoing. Now, can anyone live up to that standard perfectly? And I would say the answer is no. Only Jesus was perfect. But as one commentator put it, we are called to be above scandalous reproach or above criticism for serious wrongdoing. And with God's help, I think we can live up to that standard. And when we don't, we need to be held accountable. So what does this look like? I've spent my career in corporate America and, uh, and in the commercial marketplace. And for the past 10 years, I've been CEO of a, of a family-owned uh, building materials company. And to be above reproach, I need to start by following my mom's advice, which is to practice what you preach. And you've all heard that, right? Practice what you preach. And my actions need to follow my words. If one of our company's core beliefs, and, and this is one of our company's core beliefs, that, that that people are made in the image of God, and therefore people are more important than profit. If, if we don't act that out every day in our business by the decisions that we make and the things that we do, then we are not living above reproach. Leaders are going to be criticized, certainly, and that comes with the territory. But if my actions don't follow God's teachings, I am wide open for legitimate criticism. Continuing in verse 2, Paul says that an overseer must be the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. Paul covers a lot of ground here, and many of these are self-explanatory, so we're not going to go into them in detail. But when looking broadly at this list so far, it's clear that God cares about something that our culture doesn't necessarily care about, and that's our hearts. God cares about who we truly are. He cares about our inner self. That reminds us of Proverbs 4.23 that says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In order to lead God's church, we need to have the right heart. And Paul also says that the leaders of the church are to be the husband of one wife. 
And there are different views on this point as it relates to divorce, but that's not our topic today. But I think it's safe to say this, that as husbands and as wives, we need to be faithful to our spouse. And some of you are wondering, I'm sure, about the role of women in this conversation. And Jean Getz will be here next weekend. So happily, yeah, I'm going to that off to Jean. I'm going to leave that topic for Jean to talk about it's a lot easier on Saturday way. and Sunday. But we're not going to be completely silent on it, and Paul wasn't either. And in verse 11, when Paul was addressing the qualifications for deacons, he says this. <clears throat> he says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And spouses are critically important. Leadership, as far as I'm concerned, is a team effort. Whether it's at home or in the church, husbands and wives are critical confidants, listeners, advisors, and partners. My wife Arlene and I have certainly shaped and molded each other for the better over the past 32 years. We both need to be faithful to God and to each other to be effective and credible witnesses. And then Paul says that uh, we need to be able to teach, and that is certainly an important role of elders. And as elders, we need to be able, but we also need to be ready and willing to teach from Scripture. Paul emphasizes the importance of the gift of teaching uh, later on in this book as well. And also, I think being able to teach implies that we need to be teachable and that we need to be eager learners of the things of God. And then in this section, Paul says that uh, elders and overseers uh, must not be lovers of money. And we can't serve two masters. That's clear from Scripture. And God will not accept less than a 100% commitment from any of us. And money is like air. We all need it. We know that. We need money to live but it's to be our servant and not our master. The next qualification is in direct opposition to the culture that we live in, and that's starting in verse 4. Paul says he must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And Paul's making an argument from the lesser to the greater here. Our culture today does not generally support or reflect God's design for the family and for the roles and responsibilities of parents. And indeed, parenting is a tough job. But God is clear. We need to be faithful spouses and we need to be godly parents. And if we fail here, the, the implications for the church are huge and also for the society around us. And as far as keeping our children submissive, many believe that this applies to younger children below the age of accountability and not to our adult children. But regardless, God expects us to be godly leaders of the families that he has blessed us with. The next qualification is in verse 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. The concern here is pride. That's what caused the fall of the devil and that's what caused the fall of humankind in Genesis chapter 3. And I think we all have experience with Paul's general point here in this sense that we're all a part of organizations of some sort. Even our families are little organizations. And we know from experience that it's unwise to give positional authority to someone who is not prepared to handle that authority. When our five-year-old granddaughter Brenna visits, we don't let her decide the quality and quantity of TV and movies to watch for our household, that's for sure. And Abraham Lincoln was right when he said that nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. 
So elders and other church leaders are here to serve, and it takes spiritual maturity to, to use our positions of authority to serve instead of using those positions of authority to serve ourselves. And then the last qualification is in verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So the list starts with that first critical uh, item, that first critical quality of being above reproach, and then ends here with a similar and related quality, but it is a little bit different. And, and the thought here is that we need to be well respected by outsiders, people outside the church. And I think to be respected by others, it takes more than being above reproach. That's a great start, but it takes work, it takes effort, it takes uh, building relationships. It takes being a positive, consistent, and God-fearing example. And here's a personal illustration. I could sit in my office all day and just sit in total isolation and probably be above reproach. However, if, if I want to have respect and I want to build credibility, well, then I need to connect. I need to go. I need to get out there. And I think that's what we're all called to do here. We're called to be the hands and feet of God. We're called to love others and to be salt and light in this dark world. And when we do this, we represent God and his church well, and we cause the name of Christ to be honored. So whatever our profession, whatever our place in life, be credible for Christ. Make sure that others think well of us because we exhibit qualities that reflect the God that we serve. So David and Fred, there you have it, our 15 leadership qualities right. with those two bookends of being above reproach and being well-respected by people outside the church. Yeah. Let's say thanks to these two guys. Thank you for taking the scriptures for what they say, not putting into them what we want them to say, but then taking out from them, you know, the pertinent principles, what the scriptures are really saying, and living it out. Yeah. So here's the question for all of us. What, what do we do with this? Uh, how, how do we be on that path of growth? How do we become leaders in our homes, in our environments, in work, maybe at church? And here's the first thing we'd like to offer you, and I hope all of you will join us in this, is on February 1st, we are launching Ears to Hear. Ears to Hear is a daily passage that will be sent to you. We're going to work through the entire New Testament in 260 days. You can read it, or you can press a button and have it read to you. Right but on. also with that passage, there'll be... <laughs> you like what I need, sorry. <laughs> also with Maybe that they passage... they that just for me. You don't, you don't get this. Okay. The next part you have to read okay. is there'll be a 250-word response to that passage. Um, a member of our congregation, somebody like you, a mom, a dad, a single... Um, might have some youth doing it. I can't remember all, some leaders, some staff, some elders. They will be giving some personal reflections, not a commentary on that passage. You, so you're going to hear from your peers about that passage. And we're going to walk through the entire New Testament in 260 days. So that's a way that you can, can grow with us. And we're going to talk about that periodically in the services, in our classes, and in our groups so that we can be tracking through the New Testament together. The other thing that you can do is this coming Saturday, we'll be having Gene Getz come. Gene's written over 40 books, been published all around the world. One of his premier books is a book called Elders and Leaders. Mm -hmm. 
And Gene's going to come, and for a couple hours, this coming Saturday morning. If you sign up, you have to sign up to get a seat because seating is limited. We'll give you a copy of the book. You'll be able to hear from this just Christian statesman who's been, Gene is uh, 82-ish now. I, I gave him to some, uh, had him speak a little bit ago, and the, it was so great. There were some 30-year-old pastors who said, I hope that when I'm 80, I have a five-year plan for my life. Mm-hmm. That's Gene. Gene is just this wonderful communicator. So come on Saturday, sign up for that, and then he'll be preaching the next day on the topic of, of elders. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Great to hear from you. Dan, will you close our time in prayer? Sure, sure. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we, uh, we love you and we thank you that we can come together corporately to worship you today. And may all that we do and all that we say glorify your name. And we thank you for this teaching from your word on elders. And as we enter a process this year for nominating new elders and, 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 and selecting the leaders of your church here, we just pray that, that your fingerprints will be on that, Lord, as we trust you to provide the leaders as you have for so many years here at this place in Fullerton. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.